Thank you so much for being a listener of the Deep Believer Show. We love our listeners, we pray for our listeners, and we love to hear from our listeners. So if you have anything you'd like to say, if you have any testimonies, or if you have any questions, leave us a voice message. We'd love to hear from you. Again, we would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for being a listener of The Deep Believer Show. Hi, everyone. This is Jennifer Bagnashi with Deep Believer. Today, we have a fascinating guest with us today. His name is Steve Kang. You may have seen his interview around floating around the internet. He has a miraculous story. He used to be an ex-Buddhist, and he was actually told to slit his throat and slice his stomach during a drug binge, and he did, and he ended up in hell. But Steve is going to tell us more about how he got there and what happened during and after. Steve, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, hey, Jennifer. Uh, an honor to be here. Uh, it takes, you know, to offline all to bring one more to Christ. Uh, that's what we do. So, uh, yeah, it's an honor to be here, Jennifer. Thank you for your time. Well, you're welcome. Could you tell us about your upbringing, how you were born into a Buddhist family? And where were you? Were you in Korea at the time? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was born in Seoul. And um, my, both of my grandparents' uh, sides, my mother's side and father's side, were Buddhist. So uh, I had a fascination for religion and spiritual things, even from a very young age. So from the age of five and six, kindergarten, pre-kindergarten, I would go to the temple with my grandparents and try to, you know, learn as much as I can, ask questions to the monks and uh, and yeah, and had a regular uh, prayer life as a Buddhist, even though, you know, we know he doesn't listen, but back then. <laughs> yeah. Now, what is the Buddhist belief system? What do they believe? Well, Buddhism believes that there's no beginning nor end, that there's a reincarnation of all life, that there's no real evil or no real good. There's no real heaven or real earth, real uh, hell. So it's a very ethereal, temporary, transitory religion that puts a man at the center. And then once you reach nirvana, which is the ultimate goal of Buddhism, you're all alone forever. You're self-sufficient, self-existing. It kind of sounds boring, huh? You never need anyone or anything. So um, it's a very, uh, it's, it appears very peaceful on the outside, but it doesn't really have the answers, like so solid answers that I think, um, you know, Christ Jesus brings and, and of course, Christianity brings. Now, so you're a kid at the time, what was your upbringing? So you were a kid and you were raised into Buddhism. How did mm -hmm. you get to America? And how did you get to the actual event that we're going to talk about? Oh, shortly? yeah. Yeah. So uh, after uh, uh, at the age of nine, I moved to Boston and they had a very big identity crisis being the only uh, Asian American guy in the whole city. There was an, another guy, but I think another girl too. And she was adopted. By in the whole city. Town. Yeah, it was a small <laughs> town. And and I was always uh, living in tension. Like I was like the unique kid and uh, I had no idea what it meant to be a Korean American back then, Asian American back then. It's a very rebellious season of five years, but I was very blessed by America too. The land of just, you know, great opportunities and plenty. But through uh, being super rebellious and going through uh, adolescence, I, my father actually uh, asked me to come back to Korea. So I moved back to Korea at the age of uh, 
a 14 to start sophomore year, 15, 16, 17. And then in Seoul, in Seoul I went to international school. And that's where I delved even deeper into Buddhism. And uh, I think culturally it was okay because everybody's now, they look like you, they talk like you. And speaking English in Seoul, it gives you like a, like a little bit of an edge, you know, in terms of uh, back in those days, at least. And, and yeah, and that's when I really delved into the, uh, the Buddhist religion back then. Uh, during my high school days even though I was invited to church I never really went <laughs> I was very stubborn until God God's timing so what was your response to people who would tell you about Jesus because I know recently you told me that people would share the gospel with you often mm -hmm. yeah so when people shared the gospel with me I just thought it was a made-up story how could a man born in Israel die for my sins 2,000 years ago and and, you know, and be resurrected again. I just thought it was just, I thought it was is Jewish folklore, you know, and, and so I thought, hey, I'm Asian, I should be a Buddhist. So I got really even into it more, you know, little did I know that, you know, that the God of the universe, you know, came as man, with, as Christ. So I, I naturally didn't go to church. Just thought Christian clubs were for losers and people who had to find answers for, you know, like the unexplainable. And, you know, it took, it took God himself to, uh, to get me out of the darkness. <laughs> what do you mean when you say you dove deeper into it? There was a cult leader. It was like, so I was not even in a pure form of Buddhism. I was in a form of Buddhism that was like cultic where the guy said he was the Messiah and three generations coming. And he made us do all these chants. So getting deeper meant spending more time at the temple, learning more about the mantras and the chants, studying the history of how the religion came to be and accepting this guy who's a self-proclaimed Messiah as my savior. It was crazy because Korea actually has 150,000 self-proclaimed Messiahs. They say they're the Messiah. That's how religious the landscape is. So um, yeah, Jesus, you know, it took a big encounter and a big accident for me to come out of that darkness into true light and freedom. Well, let's talk about that accident that happened. So this is 1998, you're a sophomore in college. Are you in Boston still at the time? um no i was I, I came back to california for college so um freshman year when i was 18 i came to la and i was still buddhist but the accident happened after a whole summer of getting high in 1998 and i met the lord in the in the fall of 98 because i came to college in 97 so um yeah that's what happened and so you are staying at a what kind of house is this? It's not a frat house. What kind of house was it? For you? It was just my friend's house, but uh, it's where we all gather to get high and the parents were very lenient. So we were, uh, and there was, every other house was like a drug party house. We we're getting high in the car, in the house, in the next door, the next party, every day, three times a day. There was no, I don't remember being sober for the whole summer. <laughs> wow. Well, do you, yeah. remem do you remember that summer at all before this incident? I do. I remember certain parties, certain events, the people, you know, some of the people visited me at the hospital, you know, after it happened, right? And many of them were not able to kind of be my circle of, you know, friendship anymore because I was just, I became a radical nut for Jesus after, you know, so, I, you know, like the party scene was different when I showed up. It was like, I was, I started sharing about Jesus and the, as they were getting high at the nightclubs, at the drinking place. So naturally I transitioned out of that scene because nobody wanted to hear it over there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so one night 
your friends bring a special type of drug over. Mm -hmm. What drug was this? Yeah, so the street word is called a, a death bowl, Jennifer, and it, it's it has a uh, heroin, cocaine, PCP, everything's laced. It looks like regular weed, but um, after I smoked it, I stayed up for 10 straight days. Even a close friend of mine, he was just an acquaintance I met through somebody else. But I haven't heard about him either after we smoked that. I don't but I was in the ER 10 days later. You know. Wow. Okay, so you smoked or whatever you did, you smoked the death bowl. What happened? What was the reaction that you got that was abnormal? I mean, drugs is abnormal anyway, but what happened to your body once you took this drug? Uh, once I took the drug, I felt like I couldn't breathe. I felt like my brain shut. I felt like my QM from 160 to like 80, and I was always nervous. I didn't sleep for 10 straight days. I was up for 240 straight hours. Um, I experienced hell on earth, and I felt like, I mean, I felt pain before and depression and loneliness before, anxiety before, but this was a whole nother level. And after I did some research, you know, I found out that there, there are after effects of methamphetamine falling down, cocaine's power falling down, heroin falling down. So, and I was praying to Buddha even more, trying to escape. So you can imagine the double whammy, you know, <laughs> You're experiencing this. What happened day three? Because you said by day three, you begin to feel or you begin to lose certain senses. Yeah, you know, I began to lose a sense of time. I couldn't even read one sentence on the, on the, uh, at the school. I didn't know what time it was. I couldn't hold an intelligible conversation. I knew my brain was severely damaged, but I didn't know back then that it was the drug. I knew, I told my mom, I, I feel very different and she didn't know what to do. We called a Buddhist temple and they were, they were not able, they were not willing to help us. After three days, I think I lost all sense of, just sanity and logic and, um, you know, and it just got worse and worse. Wow. Now, were you suicidal and depressed at this time, though? Because I remember you mentioned. Yeah, I was like, it was the first time I felt depression, suicidal that much. I was a very happy, happy go lucky kind of guy, you know, went to a good school, got good grades and you know, played sports and, you know, dated, you know, dated the girls I liked and blah, 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 and had a future planned out. But when this happened, um, you know, I, I, I believe demons enter you through drugs. And I was, you know, possessed. I had no authority over this thing because I didn't have the name of Jesus back then. And I'm glad you mentioned you. I'm glad you mentioned that demons enter through drugs because I don't think a lot of people realize that. Mm -hmm. um, so was it day nine or day 10 that you had this encounter with this being? And could you go into detail? Yeah, after about a after about a week, um, I I saw a grandpa, but it's like a trance, like a vision. You know, the devil. Where were you? Where were you? I was, you I was just at home. I was resting at home because I couldn't school. Um, so I was home in Irvine in an apartment with my mom and my brother, and my dad was in Korea. And I just had an encounter of a grandpa coming and speaking to me, like we're talking now. And he said, "Hey, I know life is hard, and if you." cut your stomach and your neck open. I'll give you 50,000 less years of hell. And then you can go to heaven after 50,000 years of less years. And I was like, that's a great deal. So five minutes of pain for 50,000 less years of hell. And so I grabbed the biggest knife I could find. I wrote my mom a letter saying, mom, I, I'll see you in the netherworld. And I packed up my Jansport bag with everything I could. Cause I thought maybe I could take you to the netherworld. And 
-hmm. you know, I mean, great is the deception, right? The father of lies comes to steal, kill, destroy. So without the name of Jesus, I was not able to, I was not able to uh, fight, you know, and, and on the 10th day, um, the incident happened. I got on my knees and I uh, slit my throat and my uh, stomach open and my mom saw it afterwards. She called 911 and the cops came and were wrestling and they were able to, you know, uh, remove the knife from my hand, but it was super difficult because now I'm all battered up, whacked, and I lost 90% of my blood as I, as my arteries were cut. So, so were they deep cuts? Yeah, they were. I went to the doctor. I mean, I didn't know, but when 911 came, um, they put me in the stretcher and took me to UCI uh, Medical Center. My mom followed and I found that it was a 10 hour surgery and I had two arteries cut. It was shooting out blood. I had a blood transfusion. Luckily at the right time, the specialist flew in. If it was a few minutes late, I heard it would have been worse. Probably not here. And he was able to tie up the blood vessels. And I was able to live and I woke up uh, you know, eight hours later. And, you know, it was, wow. it was God's, God's divine intervention. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah. So let's go back just a little bit to when you say you saw this grandpa. So you're in your house and then all of a sudden this man appears and he looks like an old grandpa. Right. Mm -hmm. And he tells you about heaven or hell. But in Buddhism, you don't really believe in heaven or hell. Right. Actually, Buddhism does have heaven and hell, but it's transitory. You can go there, come back. You go to hell, come back out. You go to heaven, come back out. You get reincarnated. Nobody has a solid system. It's all myths and legends and monks of different philosophies. So that tells you about how unstructured even Buddhism is. For example, Buddhism has no beginning or end, which scientifically doesn't make sense because you cannot have a finite point of existence with infinite uh, beginning and end mathematically. Otherwise, you and I wouldn't be here, right? If we came from infinity and are transiting, traveling to infinity. So Buddhism breaks down in the mathematical sense as well. Um, and at the same time, they, they tell you, oh, there's a heaven. Oh, yeah, there's a hell. And nobody knows really how to get there and how to get out and who's in charge. There's so many gods and names. I mean, oh, my gosh, mumbo jumbo, right? <laughs> That's crazy. So, okay, so you go to the kitchen and you get the longest knife you could find, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then you slit your throat and open your stomach. Now, how deep were the cuts? Was it, was it long cuts, short cuts? What was it? Well, at first I was afraid. So I made a, I just kind of placed it there, but the cops ran in while I was doing that. And then, then the grandpa was like, you got to do it quick. So I did a big cut and went deep, cut my stomach as hard as I could. And it hurt. You know, and I cut the wrong places. I have scars even in my legs. And I have a long scar going down my stomach and my neck sideways. But I know at the resurrection, you know, they're, they're going to be gone when God gives us glorified bodies. We're just passing through here. So I didn't get any uh, laser removal or surgery like that, Jennifer. It's part of the testimony. <laughs> right. I agree. That is a huge testimony. Okay. Now, one thing that you have to clear up for me. So you slit your throat, you slit your stomach, and still the police can't get the knife away from you. Is it the drugs that's giving you that adrenaline? What is it? Because you would think if you, if you slit your throat and cut your stomach open, you know, you have no energy. So how did you hold on to that knife and how are they wrestling with you? I don't really remember. It was so fast, but they maced me. They whacked me with the bat. And after just maybe a few, like a, less than a minute, they were able to 
take the knife away. By then, my whole body was cut already, and they laid me down on the stretcher. And I remember going in and out of consciousness in the uh, ambulance to go to the, uh, the, to the hospital. Wow. So during your commute, you pass away, correct? Or mm -hmm. did you pass away at the hospital? Both, yeah. I passed out at the commute, opened my eyes again. I was at the hospital. I remember my mom holding my hand and saying, Steve, you got to live through this. Don't don't die. You know, you, you can do this. And she was crying. And I remember going in out of consciousness, being on the uh, the ambulance, uh, the you know, the, uh, the hospital bed with the wheels. Wow. Wow. And then so during this time, was it during this time that your mother, you mentioned that she called her Buddhist friends and they told her, sorry, I have things to do. So yeah, they, yeah, we were very disappointed because we called our aunt and our friends there and they said they're doing a silent prayer and they cannot give us any advice. I just thought that was really strange. It was like a well-coordinated attack of the enemy, you know, and because they, they never ever told me stuff like that. When I needed them the most, they didn't, they didn't come. But guess who came? My one, my mom had one Christian friend. It's actually the mom of the house that I was partying at. She was praying for her son, praying for us. Little did I know, because, you know, I never went to church. And then she called all her Christian friends and pastors that she was close with. They were prayer warriors from Grace Ministries International. And they came to the hospital, prayed all day and night. And, uh, and here I am, you know, and they, they led me to the prayer to accept Christ as well as soon as I gained consciousness. So you went out of consciousness. When you are out of consciousness, you go someplace. Where do you mm -hmm. go? Yeah, so I had an OB, uh, out-of-body experience, where um, as I was losing blood and losing consciousness, instead of, you know, going to heaven, my uh, spirit left my body, and I started just sinking. And I remember it felt like I was in an elevator that was cut or a roller coaster just falling, and the feelings of hopelessness and despair and condemnation and guilt and fear and every negative feeling you could ever think of was magnified by a hundred. And I kept falling and I land and I look around and it's a place with a lot of people, not just me. It was a place of fire. There was like, I saw a fire. I saw countless people in every direction, like valleys and dark. There was demons that were huge, like wearing capes and like torturing people. And, you know, it's still shocking when I think about it, but I was there and I knew two things instinctively that I was a sinner, which I never ever had that thought in my life ever. It's kind of weird, right? And I knew I'm never getting out of this place that I deserve to be there forever. And these were two like supernatural, just like instinctive thoughts that I knew were true. And I looked around and I knew, I was like, oh my gosh, I made a mistake. But then the grandpa was nowhere to be seen, right? <laughs> now you said you saw people. What did these people look like? Were they still intact? Were they wearing um, normal clothes like me and you? Were they? No, they were not intact. I, they were just like me. We were, it was crowded. I cannot see they were wearing clothes, but I know everybody was scarred up like me. I wasn't the only one. I knew they were in the same pain as me. There was fire. I, I saw, uh, I looked up and it was like just pitch dark, but there was fire near the ground. Um, and I don't remember seeing a tangible face, but I remember there was just a mass of us there. And I knew I was in hell, but the thing is, I don't even believe in hell. As a Buddhist, we don't even believe in hell. We believe in reincarnation, as I shared with you earlier. And 
it was intense. Like I knew it was hell as a sinner, which I never, nobody taught me that my whole life. <laughs> For those people who believe because of Hollywood and whatever, they believe that hell is so cool and they're going to be with their buddies. Are people going to be with their buddies? Did you see people hanging out, drinking beers, like they say, and, you know, having a ball? Were people no. even socializing with one another? No, there's no time for that. It's continual torment, just like Jesus says, is weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is better for your body to be not have a hand than, than to lust with eye, two eyes than to be thrown into hell where there's eternal torment and fire. We see that in the Gospels. We see that in Revelation. So there is no way you can party. I mean, put your hand on the stove for five seconds when it's on. You know, that those are the lies of the enemy to get people to continue to live in sin. Because Jesus says, without holiness, no one can see me. And he says, trust in me and obey me. And it's not those who say, Lord, Lord, who are saved, but those who do the will of the Father. What is the will of the Father? To surrender and to love the unlovable, bless the unblessable, and to forgive the unforgivable, and to live in the light and to walk in the truth. And that is what Jesus calls us to. So, yeah, those were just very big lies of the enemy that, you know, indulge the flesh and the self and the sin and the devil. Uh, but we know that, you know, there's no, there's no room for that in, in hell. And, and God wants us in heaven by living, you know, walking with him according to his word and his ways. It's amazing how you said that you had instant knowledge. How you had instant knowledge that you knew why you were in hell and you knew that you were in hell because you were a sinner. So did you, were you able to remember things on earth while you were down there? I don't remember anything except being in pain. I don't remember earth. It was such a short time, I think five minutes. But I do remember seeing a lot of people there. It was like a, like a valley, like a deep valley. There was like stone, like cliffs next to me. It's just dark. I don't even know how to, I could draw it maybe, but I don't even know how to describe it. It was uh I don't think I had time to even think about, oh, yeah, Earth was better. It was just I knew I was there and I'd be there forever. It's, it's the craziest thing. I mean, talk about timely salvation, right? Imagine if Jesus didn't get me. Then, you know, that gives me so much boldness when the Holy Spirit prompts me to preach at Costco or Walmart or even inside a mosque. I've preached at Muslim rallies before. I just walk up and start preaching to hundreds of Muslims bowing down to Allah. I tell them. You're buying to the wrong God. I mean, where does that bonus come from? I think it comes from seeing them go to a place I, I don't want them to go. And God doesn't want them there either. So I remember when I when the Holy Spirit prompts me, I go. And then the Muslim security guards came and they told me to stop. <laughs> but I couldn't stop. I just, I told them to, you got to believe in Jesus. <laughs> wow. That's so good how you ministered after. So now you mentioned that there were demons around you in hell. Do they bother you yet or no? Yeah, I don't even know how to describe it, but uh, they didn't come and talk to me. They were I just knew they were in charge of the place. I don't remember them coming to torture me. I just remember they were in charge and like people had like scars everywhere, like chains going through them, um, like spears. It was it was just like insane amount of uh, torture. You know, you just knew it was hell. And hell is a place where God's not there, you know, in, in, a, in a sense. So, wow. And then, so you said that your emotions were heightened. So, was your yeah. feeling heightened too? Everything. It's like earth, but more real, more eternal. 
more pain. It's uh, I rather suffer the worst pain on earth than go back there. If that makes sense. You're down there. You say for about five minutes. What happened? How did you get out of that place? Well, really quickly, well, really quick. I'm sorry. Um, you said you say you were falling, right? So you were in your body, you were falling. Is hell in the center of the earth? You know, that's a good question. I don't know. I just know that in the Greek thought, the Hebrew thought, they actually do believe that hell's in the middle of the earth. I mean, it's not going to be in, in space somewhere, right? And I know the core of the earth is very hot. I mean, maybe that's a spiritual reflection, physical reflection of a spiritual truth. I don't, I don't know those things. It's not clear in the Bible, so I don't want to assume I know. One thing I do know is when I was down there, it was real. Um, when I fell, um, I didn't like, I don't, I don't think I traveled through like earth layers. I, don't, I didn't see the details. I was just falling. I felt like I was falling and I was there. It was just a very big, dark hole, like, like just free falling. And how did I get out of there? Um, I didn't. Christ brought me out. Uh, I didn't even know it was Jesus at first, but now I know it's him. But he spoke to me, said, no more Buddhism and no more drugs. And I love you. There was no long gospel presentation. And I opened my eyes and I was back in the ER room surrounded by pastors that my mom's friend brought. And I think I shared this with you at our pre-interview, but I said the sinner's prayer 10 times that day because I knew somehow after the pastor told me, like, you got to accept Christ. I was like, oh, yeah, you're not going to believe what I saw. And they're like, what did you see? I was like, I saw hell. They're like, what? <laughs> so I said the sinner's prayer 10 times and brought myself out of there, you know? You wanted to be sure <laughs> that yeah. you weren't going to go back there. So, okay, so you accepted mm -hmm. the sinner's prayer and you realized you were a sinner. You mm -hmm. told me that that still didn't really change your lifestyle, right? Yeah, I, I still kept partying. I wanted to like party one more time because now after meeting God, I became so like 10 times more bold and courageous than when I was a Buddhist. I had no fear of death. I had no fear of man, no fear of any societal boundaries. It was just like, you know, and then now I'm like partying, but I was like, God, let me go, let me party one more time. And but, you know, every time I went somewhere, car accident, fight, like two car accidents and the joy was gone. You know, I tried to go back to a rave, uh, couldn't have fun, bad high. And I got the message and I was like, OK, my partying days are over. So within nine months, all the partying ended. <laughs> wow. Wow. I had a plan. Yeah. So wow. OK, so you had more car accidents. Mm -hmm. I mean, sorry, you had car accidents after. Now, I'm sure you had injuries from that. But what? did the doctors say your injuries were from when you try to commit suicide? Yeah. So because the knife wounds went a little deep, my stomach digestion and uh, metabolism was not as fast as before. So I gained a lot of weight. I became uh, more tired and um, not as energetic as before. So there was a lot of years of uh, like fatigue as well. But the, the amazing thing is after uh, 13 years of, um, doing ministry jennifer the lord healed me in uh, 2014 i had an encounter with him he restored uh, a lot of my lost health and then that's when i joined the military and became a chaplain and stuff i was just so thankful for another upgrade in life <laughs> you know god's in control and he has something good stored up for us we just have to trust him
So you changed your life after you realized that these parting days were over for you and God wasn't going to let you have it anymore. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned that you had more divine encounters where the Lord actually took you to heaven, correct? Yeah. So, um, you know, being traumatized with the visit to hell, I think God wanted to surprise me and bless me and maybe heal me too. So uh, in the summer of uh, 1999, the year after the accident, um, I had a visit to heaven where it was like at the peak of my partying days. And I was like, oh, interesting. Because, you know, I was like, why would God visit me while I'm partying? You know, but he did. And I, I, I believe I saw the new Jerusalem. I saw a city um, that was huge, glittering gold with angels just worshiping God and I knew it was angels because their voice was so beautiful and so pure and so heavenly I was like there's no way a human choir could sound like that and they were like oh, 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 oh and worshiping God I saw a which I think God was trying to show me the triune God father son and spirit but I saw like a triangle of light a ball of light I can't remember exactly what shape it was but I remember it was like a triangular ball shaping thing coming from above with light and, and it's and God spoke to me and said, Jesus is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. And he said that three times. And I woke up and I knew I had an encounter of heaven because the, 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 the joy, the peace, the, the love that you feel in his presence is like, wow. You know, it's, this is where people should be at the bosom of the father. And it kind of, it really did heal me from just seeing hell, you know. <laughs> Amen. Now, could you explain the New Jerusalem for people who don't know? Because they're yeah. So you know, there's a lot of theological explanations for it. I'm not gonna say it is the New Jerusalem because some people believe it's symbolic. Some people believe it's a little place. Um, if you convert the stadia to um, to to the miles, it's like 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles, or 2,000 miles by 2,000 miles. It's a cube. It's made of pure gold. It's a city where, for the first thousand years, the those who were beheaded for the Lord, it's called the first resurrection. There's a second resurrection, which everybody partakes in. But depending on your millennial theology, it's a place where those who are martyred for Christ get to hang out for a thousand years. It's, it's very clear in the book of Revelation. So assuming it's not symbolic, it's it's uh, the New Jerusalem is literally the heaven on earth. It's the new city that's the capital of the earth. And even during those days, there's unbelievers. Can you believe that? That that live outside the city walls. And it says nothing unclean, the dogs, the immoral, the sorcerers, and the cowards, the unbelieving, the idol, idolaters cannot enter the city. But only those who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. So, yeah, I believe that's what I saw. Because it was, I've never read those passages until afterwards. And I was like, that's exactly what I saw, yeah. So God's like, bam, here you go. I give you the vision and the verse you see, like, that's what you saw. <laughs> that's how you know it's real. So tell us about some more, because you said you had more um, dreams and visions about heaven. Thank God. Yeah. Um, you know, I cannot go into detail about all of them. And I didn't have too much more. But after I met the Lord, he, he gave me uh, prophetic words about my family. I had supernatural insight. I never had before. I, I spoke in tongues. Um, I had such good sleep, like I, like sleep I've never had even as a non-believer. Um, I had dreams of like Buddhist kids and like Buddhist like spirits leaving me. 
uh, where like all my dreams were kind of dark during the this, this season in the hospital and I would start dreaming and I, in my dream, I would get raptured. Like, it was crazy. Like Christ would come back and I was in the sky, like flying up. I was like, wow. So I was like, you know, God is good. You know, he, he knows how to bring us out of the pit. He knows how to deliver a sinner who humbles himself. He knows how to deliver the helpless and be a father to the orphans and husband to the widow. He's the, the truly good God that everybody's longing to meet, you know? Amen. Yeah. Amen. So yeah. you said now, after all this in 2022, yeah. you now go wherever you go you preach the gospel you say you like to go to grocery stores and I don't <laughs> yeah, know, Walmart. where do you like yeah we, we don't have separate evangelism times we just go places and we want to talk to everybody drive through walmart um malls you know like last time i went to a mall with my buddy he brought his guitar i brought my bibles we asked for three souls to be saved and god gave us three souls that genuinely accepted christ one of them comes to our church now two of them are at the restaurant but he did it very powerfully through words of knowledge, prophecy, healing, anointing. I was I was singing Amazing Grace at the top of my lungs, just walking around, and everyone's like, "What's going on?" And and one of the guys who I met, his, his brother, uh, was like, "Man, I see freedom in you. There's something different." So uh, you know, um, yeah, he he goes, he comes to our church now. I said, "Lord, just give me three souls," and it's amazing how the father is like, "Yeah, sure, son. You know, here you go." I was going to save them anyway. I'll use you, you know, because you're asking for it. And you're hungry for it. The harvest is plentiful. You know, the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send that workers into the harvest field. Because the harvest is plenty. And the whole world's waiting, you know, to meet Jesus. So, And I'm you know. glad you keep saying they came to our church. They joined our church. Because now you're a pastor. You went from yeah. Buddhist to pastor. Could you tell us <laughs> about yeah. that? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm by vocational right now. I was in full-time ministry for about 13 years as a traveling revivalist, itinerant evangelist. And uh, I got very sick, though, while fasting and praying for 10 years without normal sleep, drinking coffee and visiting churches every other weekend, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But now, uh, you know, I think we grow as we get older, not to burn out. We rest. We become normal, right? So I have a job right now, but... Uh, on the weekend and the evenings, in the morning prayer time, I'm a co-pastor at All Nation Jesus Church. And on Wednesdays, we meet at cafes. We call it Church Among the People. We have a handful of newcomers every week. Uh, and our goal is to plant more of these, just like millions of other churches are. We're just, you know, dropping the bucket, but we want, we want to do our part and really store this well by introducing people to Jesus and not getting in the way of God working, you know, like, you know what I mean? And, and yeah, so I work as a bivocational pastor now and it's very fulfilling. There's, if I was born a thousand times, I would do it again. I would want to serve as a pastor. I have a, a, a MDiv from Talbot. We're part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Can you believe that? You know, we're SBC, but we have the word in the spirit, just like Jesus had the word in the spirit. He had both. When you told me that you say, yeah, my church is like Baptist and Pentecostal. I said, wow, I've never heard those two come together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good thing. Amen. Yeah. Word and prayer, X64. No, we're devoted to both. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. So could you name the name of your church again and where it's located? Yeah, it's called All Nation Jesus Church. Uh, um, our Facebook is uh, you know, Gospel Community OC, just the letters OC. Our Instagram is Gospel Community OC. And the uh, Sunday services in Garden Grove. 
8461 Garden Grove Boulevard in Garden Grove, California. On Wednesdays, we meet at, uh, you know, downtown Fullerton, different restaurants and different cafes. And you'll see us because we're the ones praising Jesus real loud as a, in a circle. And nobody, everybody, you'll, you'll hear us and see us if you go downtown. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm in California, I'll check it out. Yeah, come um, and visit, Jennifer. Amen. Yeah. yeah, my kids want to visit California. They've never been. So I said, okay, we'll get there. Yeah, yeah. We're can, not too far yeah, away. Just, just we can minister together. together at to the lost and in our church. Yep. You're more than welcome anytime. One more thing. You also say that you have a deep heart for those who suffer depression and suicidal thoughts. Yeah. yeah. So having gone through that, I even with COVID, there's been a big rise of suicide has increased by double digits amongst teenagers and young people in America, all across the world, actually, because people are meant to be born with healthy parents into community, into friendship. And, and the world is becoming more and more isolated at times through, through the media, through uh, digitalization, metaverse, things like that, where people try to, where the world system and its government wants to isolate you from the body of Christ and God. That's their goal, right? So you have a huge heart for them and and i know that in the presence of the lord there's a fullness of joy jennifer so our job is not to deliver people from depression and give them the right pills and i mean that stuff works but once a spirit has an encounter with god he or she will be healed jesus said are you heavy laden and burdened come to me i will give you rest you will find rest for your souls why? Because I'm humble in heart and my yoke is easy. Learn from me. Come to me and find rest. So Jesus is the one who gives joy and rest. There's no need to strive your way into the kingdom. He paid the price. Our goal is to trust him in death and life. And, you know, um, I've seen many people get cured of depression, including myself. I am, you know, I had to work full day of work since like 620 today, but we're going to go to hospital as soon as this interview is over and go minister to my friend's uh, grandma who just lost her husband. He's in heaven. But yeah, there's so much joy in the kingdom of God. It's the cure. The gospel is the one that the doctor has ordered, right? Amen. <laughs> and it's the cure for joy. Amen. On that note, could you pray for those who may be battling suicidal mm -hmm. thoughts? Yeah. For those who may be in depression. Could you pray for our audience? Amen. Amen. Yeah. You know, God wants to deliver all those who are suffering from depression and darkness and loneliness and anxiety even, uh, he wants to deliver you. And one of the ways to do that, to maintain the healing, is to serve other people, to find the needs of others, and to, to be courageous, to go out there and let yourself be available to God. But until that season comes, let's pray uh, for you. And I believe God will heal those who are listening, just because uh, Jesus is everywhere, and he can work through any medium. So Father God, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus to really um, touch those who are suffering with depression, isolation, uh, insomnia, anxiety, all these things that you have not ordered, God. So, Father, come and invade their lives, God. We speak life and joy in their spirit, soul, body, heart, and mind into all those who are suffering from depression. May the joy of the Lord be their strength. Deliver them, set them free tonight, today, this morning, whenever they're listening to this, this afternoon, in Jesus' name, God. We thank you, Lord, that in your presence is a fullness of joy. That love, joy, peace is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, our job is not to be cured or to deliver ourselves from depression. Our job is to draw near to you. So draw near, Lord God, to all those who are listening to this prayer. 
draw near to God, to all those who are tuning in, and may they be healed and saved and delivered from depression and sadness, and be filled with the joy of the Lord, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. And we say again, rejoice always, rejoice always, rejoice always, God. The Apostle Paul wrote that while in prison. He must have had a supernatural source that never runs out. God. We will not waste money or time on things that do not satisfy. All those who are thirsty and hungry, we come to you and we drink freely of the water that flows from your throne. That makes anyone, everyone that's thirsty, just fulfilled with satisfaction. The Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. He is with you and he will deliver you. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So thank you, God, for the powerful anointing that you're pouring out right now. We receive it with childlike faith, your kingdom and your presence and your healing. It's all about you, Jesus. And in your mighty name, we pray. Amen.